Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us for the Weekly Standard, he's actually jumping on a plane out in Vegas before the bookies can catch up with him, the lovely and talented Steve Hayes. Steve, how are you? Michael, how's it going? <laughs> so, so I got to ask, when you're out covering a story in Vegas, you still get a chance to um, Vegas, don't you? So I literally uh, didn't gamble once this oh. entire time. I usually play a few hands of blackjack. I'm sure. not a huge gambler, but I, but I like to, to play blackjack. Me too. And I didn't play a single uh, hand of blackjack <laughs> this entire time I was here. So I had a couple good dinners. That counts for something, right? It does count for particularly with the uh, you know, cheapo buffets that are so hot around the casinos. To keep us pouring <laughs> in. And, and, of course, you're already styling, although you would be styling even more if you had one of our cool-looking cricket polo shirts from cricketshirts.com. So since I've started talking about them, people have been stopping me to say, hey, what makes these cricket polo shirts you're talking about so special? Now, the guys at cricketshirts.com would say it's because it's 100% certified organic cotton, super soft. They'd say it's because they spent a long time on the design, so you don't get with the big, boxy, baggy size or the way-too-tight, uncomfortable size. Or they might say it's because cricket shirts come with a removable collar stay to help keep your collars looking crisp and new instead of getting wrinkled, rippled, and limp. But for me, the deal is this. When I find a polo shirt that I really love, it looks good and it feels right on me, I wear it all the time. And it doesn't take very long before it looks like I wear them all the time. And my wife wants to throw them out because they the wrinkled collar and the, the fading, whatever. And that's why cricketshirt.com quality matters. When I find something I like and looks good on me, I just want to wear it. I don't want to go out and have to buy a new one every three or six months. And with cricketshirts.com... Shopping is so easy because they offer free, no-hassle returns and exchanges. And for you, our Weekly Standard listeners, a 20% discount. 20% off your first purchase. Just go to cricketshirts.com slash weeklystandard. That's cricket, C-R-I-Q-U-E-T, cricketshirts.com slash weeklystandard. But you're always looking good on TV, Steve Hayes, no doubt about it. How do you think Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton looked? I said, let's, let's set aside the you know, content of the debates, whatever, did they, who looked like a winner and who looked like less than a winner? If you're just looking at their tone, demeanor, physical appearance, et cetera. Well, that's a good question. I mean, Tr- Trump, I think, didn't do quite as much of the scowling and, and kind of angry responses towards Hillary Clinton as he has in previous debates, at least at the beginning of the debate. But I think by the end, he, he had switched into to pretty much full Breitbart mode and, and was kind of <laughs> off the rails. But but at the beginning, he, he was much more disciplined and seemed pretty serious about the task at hand. Um, Hillary Clinton, you know, sometimes she has a she, she smirks, smiles mm-hmm. when he's responding to an answer. You know, in some cases, I think it's deserved. But in other cases, it, it, it makes her look smug and sort of like she thinks she's above it all. Um, you know, sometimes what Trump says is worth is worth mocking, is worth laughing about. But probably not a good idea if you're trying to appeal to his voters. Well, I think she looked like a woman who thinks this election is put away. I mean, that's the one thing I took away from it. She had the steely ice queen, uh, you know, just bring it, not worry. When Chris Wallace did a terrific job moderating and gave her the pay-to-play question, which she had no answer for, she didn't even try to answer it, completely deflected it. When Trump pointed out she deflected it, she had this look on her face like, of course I did. I'm going to win anyway. She, uh, she's got to be. Uh, she looks like a woman who's very happy with the internal polling she's seeing right now. Yeah, I mean, she has to be. I mean, she, her internal polling is is presumably reflective of where the the public polling is, or maybe even a little better. I mean, the Republican strategists I talk to around the country say that the 
public polling is lagging uh, behind the internal polling that they're seeing in races across the country, both with respect to Trump in battleground states and in some cases the Senate candidates that uh, that I think he's uh, he's hurting. So she 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 is probably right to to think that going into this debate and certainly coming out of the debate, she's uh, on a glide path to the presidency. And so let's talk about that because there's been tons of debate analysis, and I happen to think that last night's debate will have relatively little impact on anything. I don't think the ele- you know will you accept the results of the election thing has a lingering impact on how people actually vote. Do you? Uh, I don't know if it has an impact on how people will vote in in the presidential, except for. You know, I think what it does do, and I wrote a little piece about this for the for the magazine or for the website this this morning, is for people who are looking for responsible change, who think, gosh, Washington has to be blown up, the system has to be retooled, they want to think that, that Trump is going to come in and change the system without threatening that system. And I think when you look at this, John Dickerson from CBS News had a very good tweet last night. He said, you know, the, the, the challenge for Trump was always going to be to be on the change side of the change versus chaos calculus. And when you start questioning or preemptively uh, suggesting that, that the election isn't going to be fair, that it's all rigged, you, you edge toward the chaos side of that equation. It's not a good place to be if you want to win the election. Uh, no, I get that. I mean, in, in the broader picture, I would just say that Trump is already Trump, and this is simply what a Trump says. So let's go forward from here. That last night reiterated that Hillary Clinton is Hillary and Trump is Trump. What next? Where do we go? Where do you where do you think we are headed? And uh, is what what is the smart thing for each of these candidates to do? Well, Hillary Clinton just needs to not make news and, and needs to be, I think, on guard for the possibility of some last minute big you know, opposition drop. One would expect that they would have dropped something huge before the debate so that the debates would have had the effect of amplifying whatever the big opposition drop might be. But, you know, could there be additional Project Veritas tapes out that actually uh, have James O'Keefe and his crowd talking to Hillary Clinton campaign workers or something. You know, there's always the possibility of something big, something external, a terrorist attack, as we've discussed before, that could potentially affect the outcome of the race. But absent something like that, I don't think that there's there's really anything that can change the trajectory of this race. And, and I think Hillary Clinton is, is, is right to think that she's uh, likely to be the next president of the United States. So she needs to avoid a big mistake. Um, and I'm not even sure a big mistake at this point would would hurt her that much. Uh, for Trump, it doesn't even matter what we say he should do. He never listens to what anybody says he should do. He just does whatever the hell he wants. And you had all of his people uh, on the airwaves over the past couple of days before this debate saying what we really need for Trump is to get serious, to talk about policy, to, to hit Hillary Clinton on Obamacare, to hit her on big activist government issues to hit her on WikiLeaks to hit her. And Trump was Trump. Like he just goes and he does what Trump does. And he's going to do that for the rest of this election. That was clear the moment he named Steve Bannon as his campaign CEO. There was a fundamental shift. He had a couple good weeks where he was on good behavior, but he's Trump. And right now the people who are reinforcing his Trumpiness are people who are like him, who want to live in this alternate reality that he's creating. The most frustrating argument that I'm getting hit with every day, Steve Hayes, is the, uh, well, it's just your duty to vote for him because we were going to lose anyway. And so this way we can lose and make a point. And I'm thinking to myself, what do you mean we're going to lose anyway? This was the most winnable 
election for a party out of power. Well, okay, 2008 was a very winnable election for the party out of power. But other than 2008, this, it doesn't get any better than this. An unpopular incumbent, uh, programs that haven't worked, chaos abroad, and a horrible candidate who's terrible at campaigning and nobody likes. And now we're being told, well, I'm glad we have Trump because at least Trump is going to go down giving the good fight. Is that really where Trump Nation was from the beginning? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not. You've seen a dramatic change in the kind of arguments that Trump supporters are, are making now. I mean, Newt Gingrich was at the, at the Reagan Library the other day saying, look, I find it hard to defend Trump sometimes, but you have to vote for Trump because he's the only thing stopping the Hillary Clinton presidency. And of course, as a purely descriptive matter, that's right. But that's not what Newt Gingrich was saying in February when he was predicting a Reagan-style 1980s landslide on behalf of Trump because right. Trump was going to bring in all these Democrats. So you're seeing this pretty dramatic tailoring of these arguments from people who have supported Trump all along uh, and are now you know, backing away from that. I, I totally agree with your assessment. I think this, you know, if you take a step back and you look at this, and it's, I think we can start to do this, look at this election in its totality, look at the, 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 the sort of broad issues at play here. This is one of the most uh, winnable elections in recent memory, precisely because of the failures of the Obama administration, the failures of activist government. Barack Obama came in announcing that he was going to re-energize, reactivate big government. That's what he said. He told us he was going to do it. And if you look now back at the, I would say, his three signature uh, efforts over the course of his two terms as president, we would think of the stimulus and economic recovery. We'd think of Obamacare and we'd think of the Iran deal. Well, the stimulus failed. We've had the slowest economic recovery since 1949. Obamacare is collapsing around us, a colossal failure that even Democrats are starting to acknowledge. And the Iran deal, I think it's a failure. I think there's no chance that it will win. We know right now that, that it will succeed. We know right now that the Iranians have stepped up their hostile activities in the region. They're increasingly looking at taking additional American hostages because they think they can get ransomed from us. And even President Obama, in an interview with NPR, allowed that this deal makes it easier for the Iranians to get a nuclear weapon, weapon after a decade, even if they abide by the terms of the deal. So you've got these three signature issues that, that are in, in different ways bad for the United States, failures of this presidency. And any other Republican candidate could have, I think, prosecuted a very successful case about the failures of activist government. And instead, we got somebody who is uh, who is a progressive, who believes in activist government uh, to the extent that he believes in anything other than himself. Yeah, but those Republicans wouldn't bring up Monica Lewinsky and Paula Jones, Steve Hayes. And that's what we wanted. We wanted an election where we finally got to tell America the truth about the Clintons so that the America would rush in with 38 percent vote for the Republican. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we want our 38 pure, pure 38 percent, baby, the 38 percent that counts. Look, I, I'm not saying that that Republican, a uh, different Republican would have just had to focus on policy and make strictly a, a policy case. I think there's a very good uh, case to be made against Hillary Clinton uh, on corruption. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the revelations that we've seen in these email uh, in the email controversy over the past few days from these FBI files are, in some cases, breathtaking. You had a, a senior State Department official repeatedly pressuring FBI officials to change the classification of email so that they wouldn't hurt Hillary Clinton, potentially in, in uh, contradiction of a subpoena from the House to preserve records. I mean, this 
this stuff is incredible. This stuff should be getting front page above the fold coverage, <laughs> and it should be a part of a sustained attack on Hillary Clinton and her character. But Donald Trump is just not in a position to make that attack, and when he does, he, he doesn't do it very well. But no other Republican has the connections to Vladimir Putin to get that information out in the uh, media in the first place. See, that's that's how they well, get the, you. Well, that's true of WikiLeaks. Uh, no, I, I, honestly, I think that's true of WikiLeaks. <laughs> I don't think we would have seen these doc- these WikiLeaks documents had, had it been, say, Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz who would have taken a much tougher line on Vladimir Putin. I think mm. we wouldn't have seen the WikiLeaks documents at all. But it's not true of the FBI files, which came out because the FBI put them out in response to a, a Freedom of Information Act request. So we would have seen that stuff. And, and, you know, going into the last three weeks of a contested election about the failure of big government and Washington corruption, that would have been pretty good material to use. Imagine going back in time and saying, here's what's going to happen. The front page headlines are going to be literally 100 percent increases in Obamacare uh, premiums in at least one state. Complete collapse. Uh, uh, the Middle East on fire. Uh, emails showing that Hillary Clinton and the people around here are openly corrupt and the Republican losing by 10 points. It's uh, unbelievable. Un- I mean, unbelievable. it is unbelievable. And, and, that, and it's not just the Republican losing by 10 points. I think people are, are too optimistic about the down ballot, the ability of down ballot Republicans to survive what increasingly looks like a bloodbath on November 8th. Yeah, it's going to be very, very hard to hold the U.S. Senate, and uh, they think that's uh, not likely. Well, I don't want you to miss your cocktail service on the plane, uh, Steve Hayes, so we'll let you go, okay? Sipping my Starbucks. Sipping my Starbucks. (laughs) Okay. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates and subscribe to the Weekly Standard on iTunes.com. It's absolutely free. Thanks again to cricketshirts.com for sponsoring this podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham.